This is episode 185, Creating a Fit-Infused Life with Nancy Schwartz. It's a double-edged sword, however you look at it, but I think if more people would take time to work on themselves outside of the social media and outside of just what society is dictating, it would make us show up on our social media as a much healthier, well-rounded, aligned human being. Yeah. And I just think a lot of this superficial stuff would change, I think, or just evolve a little bit more on the positive side. This is the Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I hope you're having an amazing Friday, wherever you happen to be. A little inspiring message for you today. I will not let age change me. I will change the way I age. Don't know who said that quote, so if you can find out, let me know. I did some digging around. I could not find it. All I could find is an anonymous quote. So if you find out, let me know. You can email me tutor at danceoflife.com. But it doesn't really matter. You know, today, that quote really reminds me that age is just a number. It really is. You know, we are living in a day and age where aging does not have to be the same paradigm it was for our parents, for our grandparents, and for people in the past. There's a lot of things that uh, we have access to, and we're going to be getting into that. But it's all about mindset. It's all about your own spirit, your will to live a vibrant life. And of course, also the physical component and how we keep our lives fit and healthy. And I've been really diving into a lot of anti-aging stuff myself. And especially with the podcast, I've been wanting to find people that are inspiring, that live this out in their own life. And today, my inspiring guest is Nancy Schwartz. Nancy's a coach who works with her clients to find inner peace, feel worthy of the life that they want, and design a life that becomes their reality. Through sharing her own personal stories of past trauma and the journey to healing through it, she's impactful, raw, and she resonates and reaches the people who need her and find comfort in having a coach who can lead from their own similar experiences. Nancy leads her life from a place of love, high spirit, authenticity, and integrity. And her goal is to inspire people by lifting them into their highest potential through mindset work, removing past programming, living in a constant state of gratitude, and celebrating every step of the way. Nancy believes that when you honor your mind, body, and spirit through proper nutrition, healthy habits, and regular exercise, your lifestyle becomes a happy, healthy, and fit-infused life. Nancy's pretty awesome. I'm super excited to get into this. If you want to follow her, make sure you check out her YouTube channel. She's posting regular inspirational, educational videos on there. I'm going to link all this in the blog post, uh, but it's youtube.com slash C slash Nancy L. Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. And again, all this will be on the blog post on the website, danceoflife.com slash podcast. This is episode 185. You can also find her on Facebook. 
Nancy Schwartz, Instagram at Fit Infused Life. So make sure you check her out. You know, today we are talking about what does it mean to live a life full of purpose? Are you authentic? Are you pursuing your path? Are you true to yourself? Do you take the time to care and love for yourself? Are you disciplined with your mind, with your body, with what you put in your your diet? Are you confident? All these types of questions we're going to be unpacking today in our conversation on how to create a fit-infused life and what that actually means. It's a simple, simple concept that Nancy's developed and she teaches. It's not just hitting the gym, but really working all three aspects of your being, your mind, body, and soul to their maximum. So super excited to jump into this conversation with you guys really quick. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you do that. Share with a friend if you found this inspiring if you found this that gave you new actions to take in your own life or if you know anybody in your in your own circle that will benefit from this episode make sure you share it with them and without further ado let's jam to a little music and here we go What's up, everybody? My name is Tudor Alexander, and I am your host. Welcome to another episode of The Dance of Life. My awesome guest today is Nancy Schwartz. What's up, Nancy? Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, super excited. I mean, gosh, it's like we, I've, we have so much to talk about. I have like a laundry list here of stuff to ask you. <laughs> but, you know, this whole thing about creating a fit-infused life, that's a very unique like saying or slogan or whatever you want to call it. What, how did you come up with that? Like, let's just dive right into that. Thank you for asking. Yes. And actually I can't take a hundred percent credit. One of my girlfriends and I were kind of brainstorming when I was at her house and I was trying to get ideas for what words I wanted to use for a business name that would incorporate living well, but not coming across like a fitness trainer, but more that, a life well-lived is going to include fitness. Fitness must be infused into your life if you are truly living a fully balanced life Mm. in mind, body, and spirit. So together we kind of came up with that. And I, I, I have to say, I did kind of contemplate a little bit afterwards. I thought, does it sound like I'm a personal trainer? Because people, when you say fit, any type of fit or fitness, people just assume that you are a personal trainer or fitness yeah, trainer it's and I'm not kind of with the, the gym going to the gym and yeah. pumping weights. And it's not really about that. It's not, but it's, it is a definite aspect of it because part of this huge transformation journey that I've had over the past three years has had a lot to do with fitness and weight loss, mm. but fitness to me is so beyond being in the gym. Fitness is fit within your soul and your spirit and then your body follows. Hmm. So that's where I came up with that. You know, it's it's so interesting because in my own life, I've kind of found a parallel with that too. I've kind of gone through a little mini health journey in the last couple of years, just recovering my own health and kind of getting back to that top level performance, especially doing the athletic stuff that I do. And it's made me realize that health is everything. I mean, literally, like if you don't have your health, you don't have shit. Like you do, you can't, you can't do business stuff. You can't have a relationship. You can't have only, well, you can have those things, but you can't have them at the level that we want them. Right. Right. So, uh, so in that sense, I mean, what do you, in, in your own experience with, with fitness and it's like, okay, there's, there's people who kind of see fitness as like this. Okay. It's gotta be hardcore. I have to exercise like crazy and do, 
you know, all these calorie counting, all this kind of stuff. But there's also, what I really like what you said was just fit infused, which is okay. Doesn't mean you need to go crazy about your fitness, but to some degree, like having fitness and exercise and health and stretching and whatever, you know, all those things Mm -hmm. in there. So what, you know, what does that look like for you? Like, you know, if you have a fit infused life, you know, does that mean, do you go to the gym five days a week or... Great question. I think it looks different for everybody, but here's what I'll say to that. Um, A fit infused life is one where you are moving your body regularly and consistently. For some people, regularly is five, six, seven days a week, but for others, it's two or three days a week and both are totally okay. Mm. It's that if you live a sedentary lifestyle and you go and you do whatever it is you do from eight to five or eight to seven or whatever your hours are and you come home and you just plop down on the couch and you watch TV until it's time for bed, or you get your kids ready or whatever, there's no fitness in that. There's no moving your body. Mm. And I'm a firm believer that we can't leave that aspect of life out. And I believe that, and it can be dancing, it can be yoga, it can be stretching, it can be weightlifting. Um, There's a whole bunch of hiking. I mean, take a walk outside. It doesn't have Mm. to be in the gym. It doesn't have to be with weights. It doesn't have to be busting your ass with cardio. And frankly, I don't like cardio at all. And I don't do a whole lot of it other than hiking. Like in the gym, that's running. not where I do my cardio. Yeah. Cardio is brutal. It. But I mean, whatever it takes to move your body around. But like I said, fitness to me also is, um, it's your mindset and it's mm. how you nurture yourself. And so I just believe that you cannot be balanced and like you said, live your life the way that you really want to live it unless you have all of these things incorporated mm. and they're balanced and aligned. Yeah. I saw this uh, on, on your YouTube channel. You have a cool, I think it was a video that said mindset and motivation are just the beginning or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit? Cause I, I really like that. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. That's awesome. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to speak from my own personal testimonial here where that came from, but also this is how I coach and this is my firm belief for others and how I would you know, advise others. People are so consumed with dieting and weight loss. And in my opinion and from what I observe, it's so temporary. Like, oh my God, I have a 30-year reunion coming up. I need to lose 30 pounds. Mm. Um, or I really need to lose 50 pounds. Whatever their weight loss Some short-term diet, goal that's putting them into some panic mode. <laughs> well, it sounds short-term, but even if it is long-term, even if mm. the goal is I need to lose 50 pounds and I need to keep it off. But people are quick to, to going on to these different Facebook sites and different fitness groups and asking for advice. How can I just lose 30 pounds or I just need to lose 50? What should I do? And they're waiting for people to give you a keto diet or any kind of diet or eat in moderation or eat plant-based. All those are great suggestions to an extent. Some aren't, I should say. But the biggest thing about weight loss is that when you lose weight and you want to lose weight, it takes a mindset and it's not about losing, just losing pounds off of your body. Mm. Losing weight is losing pounds off your body, which will happen when you lose the weight of your life stuff and your life stories. And in order to do that, you have to be aware of it. And that takes mindset. So when I talk about the mindset mentality and motivation, I can motive, I can inspire you until I'm blue. I can, the old saying goes, you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make, can't him, make drink. him drink. Yeah. The same thing with this. I get, and I love the compliments when people say, gosh, you inspire me in your stories and your videos and your posts inspire me. And I love that because I am, that is my part of my life purpose. I want to inspire people to take better care of themselves and to mm. ultimately live well. 
Um, but I can inspire you until I'm blue. You can watch my videos. You can talk to me. We can coach together. But if you don't do the work on yourself, you cannot, I can't motivate you. You have to be mm -hmm. self-motivated and you have to be disciplined and consistent. So the mindset mentality and motivation and mindset together go hand in hand. The first step in any type of weight loss is peeling back your layers and getting, you know, resetting your mind as to why do I want to lose weight and what is it going to look like when I do and how am I going to maintain that? And then put the blueprint together, the plan of action, but then do it and mm -hmm. stick to it. Because for me, I've had people that have come back at me, people, actually a couple of people that I've known for many years since I was a child and make comments like, well, it's easy for you. You're, you know, you have this nice body, you're fit, you're pretty, you're this, you're that. And I'll be honest, that triggered me when I first saw it. It's because it's not easy for me. Mm -hmm. The hardest part wasn't losing the weight. The hardest part is keeping it off and staying balanced in mind, body, and spirit. Mm. It takes a lot of work, especially after I'm 50 years old. I'm almost 51. And especially after your hormones, hormones change and you go through menopause, it is a different ball game and then add your aging to it. And you have a lot of different challenges. You know, your mm. body's not 20 anymore. Um, and in your body moves differently and it does, dif you know, it, it, it loses weight differently. Your metabolism changes. So you have to have a consistent mindset and you have to be completely committed and self-motivated. I, I love how you said how, gosh, that was so profound, like to lose weight. I never heard it that way before, but I loved it. It was like to lose the weight, you have to lose your stories first. Lose like, the weight of your life because yeah. most of our, our stuff, we carry it as physical weight mm -hmm. on our body, but that's not just physical weight because we have shitty eating habits. That's physical weight on our bodies because our lives are unbalanced and because we have not gone through our life stories and peeled back those layers and, and taken off the pressure and the weight, literally the weight, the, the stuff we carry around on our backs, our burdens. And until we do that, you just can't, you can't bet like you can't you when people say I want to lose weight and then I'll be happy. Mm. No, it's the exact opposite. I want to be happy. And then when we'll I am happy <laughs> and I am at peace, guess what? You're going to lose fucking weight. Mm. <laughs> and that's a fact. No, it's so true. Yeah. I mean, I personally have, I mean, I haven't myself struggled with, with weight issues so much. I've been very lucky in that sense. I guess my metabolism has been good and all that stuff, but mm -hmm. I definitely can, relate to the whole idea that we store emotions and stories in our body, like physically. And Absolutely. I, I specifically, I've worked with a, one of my good friends, she's a coach and she's like a healer type person. She does the emotion code. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but <laughs> it's like this energy work type of thing, but it basically, it's actually endorsed by Tony Robbins now, which I'm oh, really cool. surprised because it's really out there. I mean, I'm really like open-minded, but it's, it's out uh -huh. there stuff. If you know, and you read about it, it's, you know, it's, it's out there. And so I'm surprised that it got that endorsement, but it's obviously a testament to the power that emotions have over our bodies and, and how we 100%. store them in our DNA and our organs, our mm -hmm. fat, our, you know, so it's so true that what you said is, okay, if you really, you know, the weight is really a reflection of what's in the external is a reflection of the internal, right? hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. 100 100% yes. And even, even um, how you show up, you know, it sounds kind of crazy to some people, but the car you drive and the way your house, how you keep your home, mm. that is a reflection of what's going on inside. If you are unorganized and you have piles of stuff in your car or your car is dirty or your house is just a cluttered mess, 
Hmm. in all honesty, that your life is a cluttered mess. It's the absolute truth. If you live in a organized environment and a Zen environment, then you are usually more at peace with yourself and you are, your mind is organized. You have more balance and alignment mm. in your life. And what, a lot of people what, don't really get that. <laughs> what do you say about motivation? Because like, for example, today, one thing that I've come to believe is that we are over-reliant on like how you were kind of touching on this topic earlier about getting inspired. Like, okay, you can be inspired all you want, but you got to take the action. And I think today it's like, we're so reliant on motivation and inspiration to, you know, spurn us into action when really there's the, the real long-term success is all about consistency and discipline. So yes. how do you, how does somebody make a shift in that direction? Because discipline is not the fun stuff. It's not the glorious right. stuff. It's the boring, let me do this shit again, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just find presence in that, you know, like mm -hmm. the other day I, like I used to hate preparing food, like doing meal okay. prep. And now mm -hmm. that I'm eating very clean and, you know, mm -hmm. having like, you have to meal prep. Mm -hmm. There's no service out there that right. does it exactly the way you fucking want to. So, yeah. so I'm like, okay, like how do I get over this hurdle? Because I really don't like doing meal prep. You know, I just hate <laughs> it. But then I'm like, you know what? Wait a minute. Like I have an hour every day that I can just devote to a little bit of meal prep and like whether it's cutting the Brussels sprouts and putting them in a mm -hmm. box or something. And I can use that time as a time to like cool off, like do some mindfulness. Like I, I don't have to be doing productive shit all day. Like I can just right. use this hour to basically. So in that way, I kind of reframed it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was, so now it's something that let's say a, a particular discipline of meal prepping, which I used to hate was I was able to do it because I, I can kind of reframe why I'm doing it. So in your experience, like how do you work with people who, you know, when they say, oh, I'm just not motivated. I mean, there's something deeper than that because motivation yeah, comes naturally. If you have high mm -hmm. energy, if you're like, have an inspiring purpose as to why you're doing mm -hmm. something, you're motivated just by automatic mm -hmm. outcomes. So how do you deal with that? I love that you just asked that and you actually just answered it twice too. You said the word <laughs> why, why are you doing it? Right. Um, there's the old saying, if your why doesn't make you cry, it's not big enough. Mm. And there, that's the absolute truth. When you really dig deep into mindset and motivation, you need to start with your why. Why do I want to lose weight? Why do I want to be happy? Why do I want a loving relationship? Why do I want to meal prep? Why is that important to me? Hmm. It sounds really simple, but it is extremely uncomfortable and complex when you really sit down. And my biggest tool and resource that I advise people to do is write shit down. Hmm. When you write words down, they come to life. When you think them, they're alive in their energy and all of that. But when you actually write it down, you're, you're now holding yourself accountable. You've put it out into the universe. So it's not just a thought in your head. And for me and, and what I've just in research and talking to other people who have accomplished things um, or stayed consistent with, a, with working towards a goal, whether that's as simple as I want to spend one, you know, 20 minutes every morning meditating. I'm, I'm going to say right now, I started doing that and then I fell off the wagon. Why? Mm. And I'll tell you why. Because I didn't write it down and because I didn't put it in my schedule. Mm. So we get up and we're like robots and we go to work every day. You know, if you don't go to work, you're going to get fired or you won't get paid or whatever. So why don't we um, hold ourselves accountable and schedule our own time for ourselves, for our own nurturing and our own well-being? We don't live to work. I mean, I guess some people do. I don't. 
Um, but so easy to get trapped in that. It's, it's it almost, is. you know, I, I, I can attest to this because even being self-employed, it's like you get addicted to work, man. It's just, we're, yeah. we're in this culture that rewards you for like grinding and okay, push yourself, work hard. Unless you're hustling 12 hours a day, you're not going to make it like this kind of mentality. I used to feel that way. Yeah. I don't anymore. I used to, all that beast mode stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's nauseating to me now. Right. I don't want to be a hustler and I don't want to be in beast mode. It's not that I don't want to work hard. I want to work smart, but what I want to work at most, and you can say hard, but I don't want to use the word hard because I believe that when you're doing purpose driven work, your life's calling, your heart's passion, it's mm. not hard work. Yeah. It comes easy. You enjoy it. And it's a part of your flow of your day. Mm. It's a part of living in the moment. But I can say that for the 25 plus years that I was in corporate sales recruiting, did I work hard? Yes, I did. Did I have a strong mm. work ethic? Yes, I did. But then I got to those later years of my career in that and I started feeling burnt out and I made excuses and I didn't want to spend all my time just sitting at a computer doing my responsibilities. It didn't come naturally and it, it wasn't fulfilling anymore. But when I'm coaching people or I'm writing content for coaching or I'm, you know, now I've just recently started um, getting ready to mentor in group homes for children, babies mm. and children, and also go to, um, to shelters for domestic violence, survivors, women and children. Those are callings of my heart. That's not going to feel like work to me. So I feel like for me, again, writing it down and how do you, I think your question was kind of how do you stay motivated to do it and, and, and what is the motivation behind it? The motivation behind it is your why. You need to understand why you want to do it and, or why you have to do it. Because for some people, like I love going to the gym. It's become a lifestyle that I love. But yeah. there was a time when I dreaded going. And for most people, I would say, most people do dread going to the gym. So when you think about your why there, it's not always, why do I want this? It's why do I have to do this? But mm. if you go deeper than that, there is a, why do I want it? There's always, why do I want it? Now, for some of you have health reasons, you need it, but also I don't think anyone wants to walk around being uncomfortable and overweight with all kinds of health risks. So there's always going to be a want there. I want to be healthy. Most people do. So when you really get to the the nitty gritty of your why and you write it down and you read that to yourself, that's step one, but then schedule time. I use, I'm, I'm old school. I don't put everything in a, an electronic calendar or on, I don't have an iPhone. I have an Android, but I, I do put stuff in my Google calendar, but I write things down in a, in an actual planner book. And but I you remember it that way too. Stuff. They've, they've yeah. studied that if you actually physically write it down, you remember it more than yes. putting it on a screen. But you also won't let yourself down. I yeah. mean, if I schedule an appointment for myself and I say every morning from seven to seven 30, I'm meditating. I'm not mm. answering my phone. I'm not texting. I'm not scrolling through social media. I'm going to make my tea, sit in wherever my space is. And then that's my time for me to meditate. Yeah. And there's not much that I'm going to schedule within that time, unless there's like some, something that has to be during that time. And the same goes for these other things like going to the gym. When you really look at how much time there is in a day, when people say they're busy, I always, my first question to people would be, well, do you ever watch any TV at all? If they answer yes, well, guess what? Don't watch TV. Yeah. But you know, some people want to slap me in the face after that. I don't, I haven't watched TV in three years since I moved to Arizona because it, I want that time for myself. It's terrible. You know, I, I actually haven't, don't watch a TV. I don't have TV, but I had a, 
opportunity to watch it, I guess, on a flight that I took recently mm-hmm. and from like Florida, it was like a four hour flight. And I'm like, uh-huh. ah, fuck it. I'll just watch some <laughs> whatever. And oh my God, it's like, I haven't watched it in, you know, years. And just to see now with new awareness from sort of, I was almost like observing myself watching TV mm-hmm. and just seeing the programming that comes out of this shit. That's like every other commercial is either a pharmaceutical. Yep fast food, you know, or just some level of programming to basically prey on your immediate gratification on all these. And I found myself like, even though, again, I eat super clean, I don't have Mm -hmm. cravings for crap, you know, like my body's trained now to to be pretty good in that. Mm -hmm. But watching that, those commercials, it's almost like they make you like crave it, you know, like you're yeah. watching these videos of a pizza up close and oh my God, yeah, cheesy, crusty. I'm like, oh my God, like, <laughs> I want a pizza. I now. mean, seriously, you do. I'm like, this is bad. Like, you know, and you, and I'm aware of that, but most people, when you're watching TV, you're not aware. You're just like, ah, whatever, it's a commercial, but you don't realize it's programming your brain mm-hmm. to get those cravings. And it's like just an unhealthy, like beyond the fact that you're wasting your time most of the time. Like go yeah. watch YouTube, learn something on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, you know. I agree. If I if I'm gonna watch something, I don't watch on TV, but I I'll go on my computer and I have Netflix and Hulu, and I I love I've been really into documentaries and just anything that interests me, meditative things, um, just in building my relationship with God. I'm not one that mm-hmm. sits and reads a Bible. I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual, and I've been really. Um, very focused on building my relationship with my faith in God. And Mm. so I like to find different music or just different speakers that, that speak the word. And I spend a half an hour and that's, I just call that my time with God because Mm. I'm, I don't go to church. I don't read a Bible. So, I mean, we can do whatever works for us and fits for us, but the key is to do it and to do it consistently because that's what becomes the habit. Like you said, with the TV, what happens is people that habitually watch TV, like they watch, even if it's just an hour a night, if they're watching an hour of TV night, TV a night, that's a lot of commercials. And like you said, that stuff is literally being programmed in your brain to eat shitty, um, that pharmaceuticals are the answer to everything. Go get your vaccines. I mean, I don't even get me started on that, but so, and then the news stuff, like I haven't watched the news. I refuse to watch the news. The, oh, the news, news is, is a downer. Like you are yeah. going to self-sabotage watching the news. It my, makes my me parents angry. are constantly turning that shit on. And it's like, yeah. I, I see them watching it. And it's just, again, if you're aware of this stuff and you can observe it from a detached perspective, you just see the energy and the, the mental manipulation of it's like, Oh my God. And then this stuff's going to happen. And then your life is going to this and like fear, fear, fear on top of you. It's a fear tactic to keep you in that fear vibration. And then of course, you know, the next thing you're going to do, Oh my gosh, you know, I should go, you know, buy this prescription or, Oh, you know, I'm afraid. Let me Mm -hmm. go. So it's just, it's crazy. The amount of programming that's done through the tube, but thankfully now we have the opportunity to choose and educate ourselves through I mean, social media, whatever, YouTube. But, you know, it's interesting. One thing I was going to ask you is you recently took a break from social media. And yes. oh, how was that? I'm still kind <laughs> of on it. I'm so glad you asked about this. I haven't done a video on it yet. I started my YouTube channel and like clockwork every Thursday and Sunday posted a video. And December, let's see, December 31st, I went out for New Year's Eve. And then January 1st, I took a flight to Chicago from Arizona 
And um, I, I then road tripped with my daughter from Chicago to Nashville to move her to Nashville on the 3rd. Mm-hmm. And I stayed with her the entire month of January into February 6th. And then I came home. During that time, I think I did maybe one or two YouTube videos and I was barely on Facebook. It was not on purpose at first. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of on purpose. So here's what happened. And this is so, and this is what my next video will be, but I just have, I want it, I want to record this next YouTube video when I am in this raw set of emotions, when I can speak while I'm in the emotion around it, um, because I still am kind of in that taking a break um, uh, period of time. So what happened was moving my daughter was emotional because my daughter, I've been divorced from her dad since she was one and a half. And, um, she lived with me till only till she was about two. And then her dad and I decided that she would live with him because he lived in a better school district. And I did not want to, um, I wanted her to be in a good school district. My son, whose father passed away when he was six and a half, he lived with me the whole time and he's been moved around and moved around and moved around. And so it was very important for me, for my kids to be stable And so my daughter's whole life, I did not live with her, but I saw her pretty much every day. And I definitely had, we had our typical divorce situation, like every other weekend I get her and then the other one's her dad, but we have, her dad and I still to this day have such a great relationship and a co-parenting relationship that we could each see our kids whenever we wanted. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, well, you can only see her on this day and you better drop her off by near. Um, But my point to saying, sharing that is when I moved her, this was her first home away from home. She's lived with her dad up until, um, you know, just before she turned 25 in January. And so moving her there was the time for me where I got in my head and felt like I finally get to be with my daughter and stay overnight at her apartment and be with her day and night. And I haven't had that since she was two. Mm -hmm. So there was a, and when I look back at it now and reflect, there was, I think some guilt there. So part of it was guilt. And then that projected me into I need to just unplug from everything and I need to live in the moment with my daughter right now. Hmm. Um, It makes me emotional to be honest, because it's that time period with my daughter in January and part of February was such a profound release of just healing and stuff that I've been holding on to. And I didn't realize it until I actually was like several days into cutting myself off from technology. I'm Hmm. someone who literally is on Facebook every day, Instagram almost every day and posting a lot of things and taking selfies and writing these posts because it's what's in my head. And I love that. I love to do that because I feel like I write very inspirational things, but I realized that I was filling a void of not having my favorite people with me, like not having Mm -hmm. my daughter with me. And I decided I need to be with her and I need to take some time and just be still So I unplugged completely for a while from, well, completely from my um, videos on my YouTube channel and almost completely from Facebook. And I just sat still. Um, Also during that time, I I lost my last, um, which was a part-time job, recruiting job. And so then it was, okay, you're unemployed now and you're in Tennessee, so you're not at home and you just lost your income and you're in this process of unplugging from your social media and just being still and taking a moment to enjoy your daughter. And what happened was I got absolutely violently ill for like a 24 hour period of time. And I 
I knew it was a purge. It was, I mean, I'm a very spiritual person. So for some people, this might sound out there, but it was an absolute purge of all the stuff I've been holding on to in my busyness. Mm. You know, we, like I said, we're like robots. Part of well being is slow the fuck down and be okay with being still and do nothing. And when I say do nothing, I don't mean be a lazy ass and just twiddle your thumbs and play video games all day. I was still very productive in that every day. I, you know, I didn't sit and turn the TV on. I sat there and did, I read, I started reading a book that I had found when I unpacked some of her stuff. It was a self-help book. Um, I, I started reading books. I did more writing because I'm a writer. I finished writing my book. I sent it off to editing. So I was doing productive things, but I was only thinking about you know, if I woke up on a Monday morning, all I was thinking about was, okay, what am I going to do right now this morning? And then as afternoon approached, what am I going to do this afternoon? And as evening approached, I didn't think ahead and I didn't think I have to do something. I've got to stay busy. Hmm. But I realized in that process that the story of my entire life has been, you have to stay busy. You have to go to work. You have to earn a paycheck. You have to constantly be needed by someone. And if there's even an hour of time that's unaccounted for, you need to find something to do. And that's a huge uh, realization. And it had a lot to do with my weight gain, a lot to do with filling voids that I didn't realize I was filling with things, buying things, Mm -hmm. um, just doing unnecessary, unproductive things. And so I completely unplugged and I'm still not all the way back because I have looked at this situation for the past month as God is preparing me for everything I've been asking for. Mm. And I've purged. When I say purge, I mean just like different things happening in my body, literally getting sick, um, having like skin rashes, just different things that are showing up in my body and just getting out of me, like Mm. literally leaving my body. Wow! And it's been really profound and uncomfortable in a comfortable way or comfortable in an uncomfortable way, if you want to say it that way, because I feel so good and so little stress in just being still and following my heart now. What did your, uh, what did your daughter feel of this particular period of time that you guys spent together? It seems like it was very obviously transformational for you, but did she pick up on it? Did you guys talk about like, Hey, like I haven't got to feel this in a while. Like you've made such a, like how did that happen for her? It was honestly, for both of us, the most wonderful experience. Um, it was tear-worthy. We had tears together. And she told me at one point, you know, her dad and I have been divorced since, um, since she was two, well, one and a half. And, uh, and he had helped her move too. He was there the first weekend. And um, we all get along really well. And she just said that the, this was the best three days of her life, having us together with her alone. Like, wow. she's never had that. So that was profound. But then with me there... My daughter is actually a a coach herself. She's a holistic, um, integrative um, health coach. And so she's just an awesome coach. And as I was going through my stuff, she and I was, it was very emotional. I did a ton of crying, which is another emotional release. And she would just ask me questions and provoke my thinking. Hmm. And it really helped me. So she was helping me. And I think I was also carrying a lot of her stress because the day before she moved, she had to put her dog down and this was her dog for her whole childhood. I mean, this dog was her child. And the day after she put the dog down, 
she moves and she's leaving everyone she knows and loves. She has no friends or family in Tennessee and she's living on her own for the first time in her life. So it was a huge transformation and transition for her at the same time as it was happening for me. And we were there for each other. We did so much talking and crying and just asking each other questions. So it was really, really profound for both of us. And we, we grew a lot together and individually in that process. So it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You touched on something that I wanted to expand on, which is that social media, like, well, you basically, cause I can relate like the story of my life is what you just described with, with having to feel that you always need to fill the time up with something and I got to stay busy, got to stay busy. And like, I've been seriously working on that myself in the last couple of months, especially with just being okay with not having to do stuff. And I think yeah. part of the problem is, and this is where social media falls into place is that we are evaluating productivity quantitatively rather than qualitatively meaning like, Oh, I got to read a book today or, Oh, I got to sit in the park. That was a qualitative experience that you can't measure, but because you can't measure, you don't have anywhere to compare it mm-hmm. on the, the standard of productivity and compare it to your friends who also are posting their stuff. Oh, I got, mm-hmm. you know, three hours of work done today. I went to the workout. You're like we're constantly measuring and comparing to see where do we Which stand on that totem pole. And yeah, I think that's a big problem. So it's like one thing that I've, I've wanted to ask you about is being present, right? Like it seems mm-hmm. like this whole experience, especially recently has, I guess, reconnected you to the value of being present. Absolutely. Right? And how does that impact your mission and vision as a coach, because, you know, as a coach, obviously, like part of it, especially in today's world, you have to create content, you have to, you know, get out there and, and let people know you exist. So how did this little interlude, you know, with your daughter and kind of turned into a, an experience of like, wait a minute, you know, let me find what's most important, finding time for myself, slowing down, not having to feel constantly productive all the time. Coming, coming back now, coming back to your mission, your vision as a coach and in the future, let's see with YouTube channel, all this kind of stuff. How does that impact your efforts? I'm really curious because especially myself, I'm also creating content all the time, but it's like, I'm, I'm like, all right, what part of this is actually necessary and what part do I need to stress out about? And what part can I just not care and go ride my bike right now? You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I love that. So, and I love that you just said, what part can I not care and go ride my bike? So what that implies to me is that it's like as if riding your bike is something you shouldn't be doing because it's not productive, Right. but it is productive. It's actually (laughs) more productive than getting three hours of writing content in my opinion. And here's why, because if you don't take the time to nurture your soul, Hmm. you are not working to your fullest ability. And that was hard for me to learn, but I based all of my productivity stuff, whether that was actually being productive or that was helping other people with something that I could have, delegated off and shouldn't have been doing, or whether that was me going to the store and buying things to fill the void. I realized in this whole process that all of those, all of my busyness was a result of my lack of self-worth my whole Mm. life. And I never realized that I didn't feel worthy until very recently. It was very eye-opening. And now for me, being grounded every day in nature for even if it's 10 minutes walking outside or going on a hike or just standing outside and feeling the wind and the sun in my face, what taking a walk, whatever that 
is productive quality time to nurture my soul. Mm. And when you have productive quality time for yourself, it's not selfish, it's selfless. People think, well, I don't have time for me and I don't have time for this. And I have two kids and I have four dogs and I have this and I have a job, but you won't have your health if you keep putting yourself off to the side. And I mean, that's ultimately what happened to me. I gained Mm -hmm. 50 pounds. I was stressed out. I went through financial hardship. I didn't go through financial hardship because I am not um, intelligent enough or capable enough of making money and saving it. I went through financial hardship because my life was chaotic, because I wasn't balanced, because I Mm. wasn't taking care of me. So everything comes back to me, to you, you know, to each individual. Everyone is so busy taking care of work responsibilities, kids, animals, and everything else they feel they have to do. And there's no time left to do anything for themselves. And that's why we're robots and that's why we suffer and that's why we're sick. And that's why we're miserable and stressed out, you know? So the impact for me of being present was first of all, learning these things about myself that I never knew that were so buried. Um, And, and the awareness alone of knowing that I've suffered from self-worth issues my whole life was life-changing. How did that make you want to be busy? I mean, I, I, I can totally see that like in the sense of like, okay, we, we have to like, run away from our self-worth issues. And so we fill our time up with something, but how, let's say in your particular case, like how did, how do those two things relate? How did that impact your anxiety almost to fill up your schedule um, by not feeling enough about yourself? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's such a good and kind of a complex question because I didn't realize that I didn't feel worthy Mm. my whole life. I just, for some reason, always wanted, number one, I'm a people pleaser and I realized that, but I've known that about myself, but I didn't realize that the, why I I filled up my time was because I needed to be, I needed approval from others. I needed really, Mm. and a lot of it comes down to like childhood stuff. I wanted my dad to feel like, be proud of me and feel Mm. like I'm worthy and feel like I'm, I'm a success. Um, there, there's so many pieces to it. It it was Mm. very impactful because what I realized is in, at, in a nutshell, what I realized is society is fucking everyone up because when you're born, you're a blank canvas. Mm. And the moment your body, your naked little body comes through the birth canal and into the air, you're instantly getting programmed. Mm. And that programming is so detrimental if you don't keep up with it and be aware of it and learn from it. And so I kind of attest that all to from the instant you're born, your, your life lessons are instantly, that, that begins. The start button is pushed, and at some point, you're going to either have a pile of stories that are going to force you to show up in ways that aren't always great because you're not learning lessons, or you are going to be aware and you are going to have this, which I think most people aren't at first, but that you, you aren't going to be as aware and the lessons, you know, you're going, or you no, the flip side from what I said before. Sorry about that. Um, but you're, you're going to be aware and you're going to actually be learning these lessons along the way and having your own mind about um, the information that you're receiving. I know that sounds kind of confusing, but I feel like it, it's, it's so hard to explain, but in the past like three years, 
just the awakening of awareness of what's happening around me mm-hmm. and how we live in a place where we feel like we have to be one of the Joneses. We have to go to school, get good grades, go to college. That's, that's our worth. That's our identity. That's what says this is a good person and this person, well, and that's not true. Yeah. It's constantly being you know? programmed to you through everything around you. Even if you're not yeah. watching TV, you're just constantly being told like, oh, this is what's good. This is success. I mean, think, think about this. Think about, um, and I don't know what your dating situation is, but I used to go on dates and go online dating and stuff. Well, the first thing that 90% of the men when, or women, when you go out on dates is, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> yeah. And if you really think about it, like that nauseates me because it's almost like, and maybe it's just me, maybe that's a trigger actually, but I don't think it's a total trigger, but I feel like, like, where did you go to college? What did you, what do you do for a living? That's not who I am though. Where I went Mm. to college doesn't define me and what I do for a living doesn't define me. Mm. You know, so I just, you know, there's times when you, when you observe how people talk and you know, when people, the whole thing about who's a stay at home mom and I mean, you're going to, it's a lose-lose for some women. Women will have, if they choose to stay home with their kids, then they're told, oh, well, you stayed home with your kids. And so now you expect to go get a job. I mean, I'm a recruiter for 25 years. We would look down upon a woman who took 13 years to raise her children. And now she wants to come back to the workforce. Yeah, That's that terrible? bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're damned and, if you do, damned if you don't. Like if, yeah. you, if you go work and you don't have a family, you're looked down upon as, you know, in a certain way, if you have a family. I mean, it's your you, worth. It comes yeah. down to your worth or women that didn't want to go to college. I mean, I got pregnant. I didn't, I didn't finish college. Um, I'm not afraid to admit it, waste but I, money I, anyway. you didn't, I you didn't yeah, my daughter has, <laughs> you know, a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt, a thousand dollars a month when you're 25 years old as a, as a monthly, one of your many monthly bills. That's outrageous. Um, I don't have any regrets about not going to college. I mean, great for the people that went, but as a recruiter, I used to interview people that had master's degrees and they couldn't get a job for more than 10 to $12 an hour. That's sad. I mean, it's sad. I've seen so many of those cases, but you know, that's changing. I think now, especially with, again, social media or Mm -hmm. YouTube, whatever, like you can go and learn anything. You can listen to a podcast, you can watch an instructional video on anything. Like literally you, you don't need to go to school. In fact, I think the next generation of kids growing up now, it's going to be pretty, pretty interesting to see what happens because I, I don't see this old model of, okay, let me go four years. I was, I was actually talking to this with somebody recently is that the old model of just four years. Okay. For an undergraduate, just a regular undergraduate Uh degree, like that's so much fucking time. Like you can like, if you give me four years and let's say 30 grand, like that timetable and and resource amount, Mm -hmm. you could start a business online and, you know, make, be making a whole lot of money, a ton of money, you know, or at least make your money back. Like, to go four years and literally come out with nothing. I mean, you, you have to get a master's degree or something if you want to make real money. And it's like, why, why do all that doesn't make any sense. I don't think a lot of people are going to see that. I totally agree. And also it's, it's interesting because when I started to kind of put my name out there as a coach, um, I heard all kinds of feedback on, well, you know, you, where, where are you certified, are you certified from? Where did yeah. you go to school? <laughs> and and, the, and life coaching is saturated. It is saturated, but here's the thing that I love about it. Can anyone be a coach? No, but I don't believe that you need to have an education to be a coach or be certified. I think it helps to get that coaches should always be investing in themselves and getting their own coaching yeah. to either help them in their coaching or help them through their own stuff, whatever that may be. But I don't, I believe that 
for instance, I went to counselors my whole life to help with my, the past abuse and things like that. And I will honestly say out of all the ones that I saw in my whole life, there was one, this lady named Liz, who I actually connected with and felt like she was helping me. But I have hired coaches in my recent past for various things and even gone to Reiki, which isn't coaching, but it's a, it's a, it's a therapy. And I've gotten more out of investing my money and time into coaches. I don't care if they're certified. I don't even ask if they are. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me most is that the coaches I've invested in have had similar life experiences to mine. They have testimonials. Mm. They've been through. They can empathize with me. But most of the counselors that I went to see, they learn, and no offense to people who got their degrees in psychology or whatever, but they learned it in a book and they learned how to handle someone that's been through trauma or sexual abuse. But if you haven't been through that, it's kind of like when people without kids try to tell you how to parent your kids. Mm. I mean, when you haven't actually been through a trauma situation, in my opinion, not nearly as credible as someone who has. You just don't know what that person's been through. You haven't really walked in their shoes. Do you think that, I mean, because there's so much of that these days, you know, like, I mean, I'm 35 and there's still so much to learn in life. I think no matter what your age is, but I see like so many situations where there's, in my opinion, kids, you know, like 21 or 20, whatever too. And they're, already and it depends like you know let's say you're a health coach nutrition i think that's different because you can learn uh-huh. about those things but let's say you're talking to people about trauma or something a little more a little deeper I you love know that you're asking me this and question. it's like okay <laughs> i don't know how i mean it's you know not trying to judge or anything but it's like yeah. okay what could it's different you know what i mean like it's, yeah, it's one thing uh, yeah. to coach me on my finances if you're 21 yeah. and you've learned a lot about investing in stocks and stuff like that those are you know outside things but mm-hmm. to me if you're like let's say 21 and you're like a trauma coach or you're doing life coaching for business success or something it's like okay like you haven't yeah. been well, how out of the I feel, womb yet. yeah I mean, I how know. i feel about that is i'm going to judge um and i'm totally okay saying that at 21 I mean, I can speak for myself and just observing even my daughter who's very mature and I was very mature at 21 too. um, You don't have the life experience or the level of maturity, even if you are a mature 21 year old, even if you got straight A's and you're successful in whatever it is that you're doing, you don't have the life skills. You don't have the life time, the, the experience, the time to be able, in my opinion, to coach on some of those subjects. Like a life coach at 21, I would never hire. I wouldn't even hire a 30-year-old life coach. I'm going to be totally honest with you. You need to be 40 and above before I would hire a life coach. Now, would I hire a financial planner at 30-something? Probably not, but maybe, but probably more a 40-year-old because they've been through financial hardships in different scenarios. Um, I would definitely hire like a personal trainer or like a, um, a nutrition science, you know, nutrition and fitness type of a coach at 25 or 30 because that you don't really need life. They learn that from a, a lot of that from a right. book. Yeah. It's, it's physical. Hard. It's not it's physical, like spiritual, emotional yeah. work, but the mind stuff. Um, and I'm not trying to diss anyone who's on that path. And actually my daughter has some friends that are successful coaches and I've actually found some in my own research that are in their like mid twenties and up to 30 that do life coaching. Some one's a business coach and I think she's really, really good. Um, but it, that's a really um, fine line there for me because I believe like I tell, here's something I told my daughter. I said, 
from the time I was 20 in five-year increments. So I I said every five years, I was a completely different person. Mm. So when I was 20, I was a certain way. Then at 25, it was like Nancy who from the, you know, and then when I turned 30, totally different. Like, so Mm. every five years, my life and my thought process and my the way I showed up was so different. I learned so many lessons in those five-year increments. So you can't really, I, in my opinion, a 25-year-old or 20-year-old, they do not have life experience to be able to be doing life coaching and trauma coaching. Hmm. Even if they've been through horrible trauma, their body, mind, and spirit has not had the healing process and the maturity level that I feel is needed to be able to coach others on that, especially to coach adults that have been, you know, been through marriage and divorce and hardship and kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. What's been the most effective thing in your life to overcome trauma? Like, I guess maybe in, in your own life or, and you could, this could be a two part question, but in your own life, but also let's say tools that you help others overcome those things. I mean, the most effective thing for me and what I give to others as a resource or tool, there's a few things. Um, getting real with yourself is the first getting really digging. Now I will say this, I was abused between age two to age seven. And when I think back and I think back on my own healing from, from age nine, when my grandfather died, it was a sexual abuse situation, but my grandfather got sick with cancer when I was seven. So the abuse stopped and then he died when I was nine. I was 1 billion percent completely devastated when he died And all of my relationships from throughout my whole life were affected as a result of the sexual abuse. But I don't remember from age nine until about age 16 or 17. I don't, I didn't consciously remember the abuse. It wasn't until I was about 18 and I was being um, physically abused by my son's father that triggered the memory of my childhood abuse. So although it was in there, we, when we go through trauma, especially as a child, I mean, I was two when it started, you, a lot of trauma gets buried. Mm-hmm. So it's in there and it's stewing and brewing, but sometimes we're not aware of it. So when I say to get real with yourself and get aware, everyone has a story. Not everyone was raised in this perfect, harmonious family with two parents at home and, you know, a great environment and, you know, had all their needs met and a white picket fence. It, usually there's something, you know, even if it's just, it could be like as simple as two parents that argued a lot, because mm-hmm. even though that seems like not a whole big deal, that's trauma. Yeah. You know, the way toxic. you hear people, it's toxic. Yeah. So when I say get aware, I think people really need to just stop and write down and go back and try to think back on their childhood because most of how we show up as, you know, from 20 years old on is it's all a result of the environments and the people we were around in our, Mm -hmm. in our childhood. We all have a lot of childhood trauma in one way or another. So digging into that and, and even asking questions of your siblings and your grandparents and your parents, like what was life like at home? Or I remember this, did this really happen? Because when I think back and I went through to my healing, there were things I'm like, God, I remember a little bit of this, but who can I ask that might be able to trigger my memory a little more? So a lot of it, the, the beginning of what I offer and what's helped me is you need to sit down and get real with yourself. And again, I go to writing, write down everything you remember from your childhood, 
what was it like? Like I have a whole qu- a list of questions, like an intake thing when, when I hire, when I have a client, a new client and it's very personal. Like I ask a lot of thought provoking questions to make them remember their childhood because what that does, it helps them to say, Oh God, you know, maybe I show up this way because all I did was listen to my parents swear at each other and disrespect each other my whole life. Mm. And now I wonder why I don't want to get married or why relationships don't work or whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of initial questions to dig and peel back your layers. And so becoming aware. And then from there, dealing with how you felt about that environment, those people, what happened, you know, Mm. for me, I, you know, I don't look at trauma like, wow, that was a huge trauma. And that was, that was okay. That might've been kind of traumatic. Trauma is trauma. Mm. Um, so whatever it was, it affect, if it affected your feelings, I mean, my son was affected and still is because he hasn't dealt with it because when I, his dad died when he was six, but I was already remarried to my daughter's dad who he loved and adored. And that was our family unit. But then I divorced my daughter's dad when my son was not even seven. I think he was almost seven. Actually, he had just been turning seven. And I never asked my son how he felt about it. My ex-husband and I never sat down with him and said, we're going to get divorced and how do you feel about it? I think we just said, well, mom and Dan are getting divorced. And Mm -hmm. that totally affected him. And then what made it worse was then I spent... I spent the rest of his childhood dating men and being in and out of relationships because I felt this need to have a man. But what I didn't realize then that I realized later in life, like in the last five years was I was neglecting his cries for, I want my mom. I want her attention. I need her, but she's checked out and everything is about men and relationships with her. Hmm. That completely affected my relationship with my son. And it's still, it still does. I mean, it's, it's better but he, he, I've dealt with those stories. I've dealt with that part of my neglect and my stuff. I've apologized. I've opened the door to communication about it, but he's not ready and he hasn't dealt with it. How and, do you make somebody take that first leap? You know, because authenticity, especially, you know, to be authentic with other people, you got to first be authentic with yourself. And I think that in the world we live in, that's very, um, superficial, right? With social media kind of going on that whole point. We, we only, we're trained to present only the good, right? We're not, we're not trained to question authentically, to, to look inside, to do all this valuable inner work. So how do you, like, let's say, I mean, in the case of your son, you know, let's make it personal. Like if your son was a client, like how would you encourage, like how would you support somebody to be authentic with themselves to take that first step. Cause once you ask yourself that big question of, wow, okay, what happened? Like, and how do I feel about it? The rest, it's not that it's easier, but the rest kind of opens up. Right. But it's that first step going from, I don't even want to look at this shit Mm -hmm. to, okay, I'm going to turn my head and look at it. And it's, it's, there's a matter of confidence there of courage of authenticity. How do you, how do you support somebody in making that first step? It's such a good question. They, they do have to want it. They have to want the help. Mm. Um, but I remind them that if they come to me and they want the help, I remind them that they wanted the help. And we always go back to their why. Mm. I always start every like intake call or consultation with, why do you want my help? What are you going to, what are you looking to get out of it? What is your expectation? And we write that down and I will remind them of that time and time again. But I also make sure they feel safe 
and make sure they know that they are loved and supported and that I'm always holding space for them and that it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's in the discomfort that you grow. Mm. So if you're comfy, cozy with everything, you're probably not being authentic and real with yourself and you aren't going to get the full benefit out of the coaching and out of the digging because growth cannot happen from a space of comfort. Authenticity Mm. cannot happen from a space of comfort. There are, you know, we don't really know who's all authentic and who's not when you look out there on social media. I mean, unless you personally know someone. I mean, there's people that I personally know. There's a few people that I know um, don't necessarily practice what they preach. And so it it does trigger me. And that's my own stuff that I need to deal with because that's really not about them. That's about me. But, But I, because I pride myself on being authentic, I... I have a hard time when I feel like someone might be coaching people to, to get through this or that or the other, but that's not how they live their life. Mm. And it's, it's helped me too. It hasn't just triggered me, but it's helped me in taking a step back with my own coaching. And especially with my YouTube channel, um, I had a really great Reiki session with someone who's now one of my best friends. And she said, you are authentic, but think about when you do your YouTube channels, the best way to be credible and grow that credibility is to be relatable. And the best way to be relatable is to be authentic. And in your authenticity, like if you've watched any of my videos, I cry on there openly and I, I'm a, I am a sensitive person, but I feel like you don't have to put on this professional hat all the time and be all, I call it corporate, be all corporate because it's not relatable. And the place where you see the most fake and superficial is in the corporate environment. And it's one reason, one main reason why I couldn't wait to get out because you just didn't know who was a backstabber. Yeah. I bet you were probably dying in there, especially being, you know, sensitive and aware and in tune. It's like, man, that is not the life for that kind of thing. Right. So to answer your question, like how would I approach like my son and anyone else? First, it's it's a trust that happens. Trust is the first thing. And I don't solicit myself and maybe one day I'll get more towards that, but probably not. I don't, for my social media, I don't want to look like I'm selling something all the time. I mean, everyone has their own way of getting their stuff. The way I've gotten all of my clients, either they've already known me or the ones that haven't that wanted to work with me, they were either mostly were ghost followers. Like I didn't even know they were following me. They were connected with me on Facebook, but suddenly I would get a DM that says, Something you said today resonated and I've been, I read your posts every day and I follow you and I think I need your help. Hmm. And I'm like, wow, who's, you know, Joe Schmo. Like, I don't know these people personally, but my point is when I put myself out there, I want them to see me, the Nancy Schwartz, that's truly me in my real life. So I don't just, it's not all business. I don't advertise that I'm a coach in a way where I'm, where I'm on there saying every day, here's, you know, here's my coaching. Um, I I'll mention that I coach in certain posts, but not usually. Hmm. And again, that may change because I'm changing my branding. I don't want to do one-on-one coaching anymore. I'm doing like um, training modules and content and retreats and things. So I'm building that out. And that may, so that may change a little bit. But my point to that is that the trust and the credibility is first. So people coming to me because something I say resonates or just in watching me over time, they feel like, She's engaging. I'm drawn to her energy. She's been through something I've been through. She's an open book. And I think she knows how I feel. 
and that feels safe to me and I feel like I can trust her. Mm. So with my son or anyone else, it would first be to make sure that there's a trust and they know that they're safe and that what we talk about is confidential and that they can say anything, but that the key to their success is participating. The worst thing any counselor could have as a client or coach is someone signing up, whether it's free or they paid for it, and not participating and do the work. Hmm. It is uncomfortable. But that's why like my initial thing is just a lot of questions. I had one guy actually pull away and say, he just can't do it. He's not ready because of the questions that I sent him that I needed him to answer. But it's better that way because then when you're up front with like, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to go all in with this. It, it, it forces in some way a a reaction. It's like, okay, I'm, I either agree with what you're wanting to do or I'm not ready for this. So then you at least have the certainty of being true to your mission. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if they're not ready because most, you know, there's a lot of people that just aren't, but when, but the cool thing, it's like when you're breaking up with someone or you're ready to get a divorce, you can't, if all your friends are like, your dude is such a jerk and you need to break up with them. And if you go break up with them, but you weren't ready yourself, it's, it's your, the lessons aren't learned. You're not mm-hmm. done with, you weren't ready. And it's the same with this. If you're truly in a place where you feel ready to dig deep and find yourself and figure mm-hmm. out why do I show up this way? I, I don't feel like I'm balanced. I feel like I'm showing up angry or I have rage or I have sadness or I'm depressed, whatever it is. If you are to a point where you're ready, then you'll do the work. Mm-hmm. It will not be comfortable, but you'll do the work. And what I've found in every single one, except for the one guy that pulled back because he wasn't ready, every single person I've sent those questions to, just the questions alone, which is the first part, they were like so emotional and so like they had aha moments. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I didn't realize this about myself. But when I answered these questions and we would go over it, it made me realize why I do this on every, you know, with every friendship or every relationship or why I react this way at my office in meetings around men, if it's male dominated or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's triggering them to remember things that might be buried just by asking a simple question and making them think. I feel like the best coaches, one of my best friends is a, is a coach, Carrie, and, and like she just, she's helped me through my own stuff too. And it's questions that she asks. And that's how I do it. You ask thought-provoking questions. You can't answer someone else's question. My daughter's like the expert at this. I want her to answer it. I'll be like, well, what are you saying? Well, what do you mean? And she's like, mom, answer the question. And every time I answer the question, then she asks me another one. And it's like almost aggravating sometimes, but it gets you to the place where you are literally exposed and raw yeah. in your shit. I mean, that's, a, you know? that's, that's how you have to start with the question ultimately. Yeah. To get where you want to go, you have to ask better questions. Yeah. Right. So, and, really and awareness do. doesn't go backwards. Once you once you're aware of something, you can't go backwards. The question yeah. is, do you act on it or not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, like a lot of us, uh, I would say for most people, including myself, um, there was a time in my life where I felt like I always wanted to find someone else to blame for why I felt a certain way or why I showed up. Like Mm. every relationship that failed for a long time to me, it was like, why am I picking all the wrong men? The thing was, Mm. I wasn't picking all the wrong men. I was attracting the men I was attracting because I hadn't dealt with what was inside of me Mm. with trust issues or insecurities or self-worth. So Mm. we're attracting in the energy that we're putting out. It's really simple, but complex. 
It's crazy when you start looking at the people that you date and how they related to your early childhood experiences with your parents. It's like, what the fuck, man? It's like, I'm literally dating my mother or, you know, my father or whatever. It's just like, it's so crazy how there's so many of these little automatic programs. And the more you get into this kind of work with yourself internally with emotions and and Mm -hmm. trauma release, really, you start seeing like how ruled you are by that little hurt child that basically set up this, this matrix of reactions that are so simple. Like when you look at it, like I remember some of the shit that I would figure out that I would, that would trigger me. You know, like, so we talk about triggers. We've mentioned Mm -hmm. triggers a lot in the episode and it's like, you know, you, you, you have something to happen and suddenly you're pissed off to hell, you know? And then it's like, why am I like, I shouldn't have this level of a charge to this situation. Right. Like there's something deeper here. There's a here. reason why. Yeah. And then, and then when you dig up and you find the reason, it's like some silly little thing that happened to you when you were little, but, yes. but that thing, when you were little, the, your mind was also smaller too. It wasn't like this critical thinking right. mind. It was a little child and it, and it created this very, significant memory of how things should be from now on based on that thing. And it's like, it's wow. so true. We live in fight or flight mode and, yeah. and we shouldn't. We, we need to live in like thrive mode, not mm-hmm. like barely hanging on to survive. But what that takes is a true understanding of who you are. What's your sole purpose? What drives you? What are you, what are you passionate about? It's like my, um, my daughter, when I was in um, Tennessee, and I was watching a program and it triggered me and I was just really emotional about it. And my daughter started asking me questions. And the next day after that, I had scheduled a re- uh, over the phone Reiki with the, one of my friends who does my Reiki. Now, my, I didn't tell my Reiki person that my daughter had asked me this question and she ended up asking me the exact same question. Wow. Now, when, what my daughter asked me when we were going through this conversation she said, mom, if money, because I have my own money blockage issues too, money issues that tie to my self-worth and just the fear of being unemployed and, oh my God, where, how am I going to pay my bills and what am I going to do? And do I need to go get another recruiting job? And so my daughter said, mom, if money was no object, what would you, if, if it, money was nothing, you, you had the money, it, you never had to worry about money. What is it that you would do that would make you feel so good and so worthy. And mm-hmm. I just started bawling and I said, I want to help kids and women that are abused or neglected. Um, I need to be around children. I need to be around women and I need to help them heal. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like in that instant, I realized, okay, that's literally what my passion work is. That's my purpose work. Mm-hmm. And then on the phone the next day with my, um, friend that does my Reiki, she asked the same question and I started crying again, partly because damn, you didn't know that my daughter literally just asked me this last night. And then when I told her and she said, yes. And she, and I, and she said, you won't, it's not something that's going to bring you money right now. Like go and volunteer your time. Cause she said, well, what does that look like to you? And I said, well, I want to volunteer. I want to go to group homes and foster care and shelters. I was in a shelter myself um, when I was abused and ran away from my ex-husband. I want to be there. I don't care about making money. And I was like spitting this out of my mouth. And I was like crying and saying, everything in me would feel so good and so worthy. And like, I'm doing service work that I want to do and being called to do and money doesn't fucking matter. Hmm. And that's the, that's like kind of when the light bulb went on, like I have to be okay with that because I truly believe God has put me through this series of lessons and places and things and around people to get me to where I am now and to hold me still because 
I'm, I, I, he wants me to hold that space open. I, my whole life, as soon as I get laid off or a contract ends and I go into fight or flight and panic mode, I need a paycheck. And I just run to get another job, which is what we're taught to do. Well, what are you mm. going to, you know, I can even hear my parents in the background saying, what are you going to do? How are you going to pay your bills? Oh, How are you going to yeah. survive? <laughs> and I get so defensive, but now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go volunteer my time. I'm going to go and I know I'm going to be supported and taken care of. And I know it's going to lead to what I'm supposed to be doing on the bigger scheme that will earn me money through that work, through that passion work. You know, it's, it's so you true know? because we have this fear, like you just said, man, is this so perfect? Like we have to fill that time up and have to get that paycheck, have to fall into the rat race again. But really when you're doing that, when you choose to go that route, you're really not being authentic with yourself. And exactly. one thing that I've come to realize is that when you are authentic with yourself, it, you align with that path that you're supposed to be on and you get closer to where you need to go and the money that, that was already reserved for you yes. In, yes. in life to, to basically do what you need to do to fulfill your little slice of the pie here, that's going to start opening up. So the more you keep lying to yourself and choosing the, the comfort route and the safety and going, you know, it's hard, you know, it's not easy. I it's mean, I'm very I'm hard because we still need myself. to pay our bills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you get the guilt, not only the guilt, but yeah. really the, the fear of shit. I'm not going to pay my bill. I'm not going to eat. Well, and not to mention the fear of competition. Like, oh my God, I'm 50 years old. What the fuck am I doing? And I've got yeah. friends that live in great big houses and have nice cars. And this, but at the, in the big scheme of things, the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned through this is I want to live more simply I don't need, I've got a boatload of shoes, a boatload mm -hmm. of clothes. I don't need those things anymore. I need my self-care. The things I would spend my money on today and that I do spend my money on today are not the things I used to spend money on, which was shoes mm -hmm. and going out to eat and clothes and handbags. Now it's a massage or getting my hair colored, getting my nails and doing things that make me feel, that take care of me you know, working out, a gym membership, a trainer, a coach, investments in myself that have to do with my mind, body, and spirit. Hmm. And that's what's important to me. I don't need a big house. There was a time I wanted a five-bedroom house, a huge house on, you know, two acres and driving a Mercedes. It's a full-time job just to take care of that shit. <laughs> it's just, the, and when you die, is that really going to matter what kind of house you lived? I want to live in a nice house, but it's I, all but it's just, it's not about huge anymore. It's about mm. a nice, comfortable space that it, that makes me feel like Zen is it, you know, like I'm in my happy place mm. and I want experiences. I don't need things. I want to travel. I want to take my grandkids and my children and I want to have experiences. And yeah, it, it, there's so much spiritual work. And if people would really, the key to that awakening, I'll say it till I'm blue is digging into your stories and peeling back layers because like you said, you aren't your authentic self until you do that work, until you do that inner work, you're not showing up as who you really are. We are not our job. We are not our mistakes. You know, we are not what our parents taught us or what society says. You know, I am not Nancy, corporate recruiter of XYZ company. I'm Nancy the mom. I'm Nancy the Nana. You know, I'm Nancy the poet. You know, mm. I, I it's so amazing when you actually have that awakening because it really makes you come to life and want to keep digging. Deep. It's like the, your identity 
is shifted from being defined by those measurable comparable statuses like, Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm Nancy, the recruiter for whatever company versus now I define myself by what fulfills me instead. Yeah. I mean, I don't give a frick if it's funny when I, and and another way I was raised, I love my mom to death, but she'd be like, Oh, it'd be so great if you met a nice Jewish doctor or a nice lawyer or this, that. (laughs) First of all, and not one of me or my siblings has even married a Jewish person, which that's neither here nor there. My point is it's not the title of what they do for a living, but also think about what that teaches a child Mm -hmm. that teaches a woman, especially you need to marry a man who can take care of you and has money. It says nothing about taking care of yourself Mm. and finding your own success. It's amazing the little things that we pick up from our parents. And I'm not blaming them. Again, that's back to their own stories and how yeah. they were raised. It's cycles and cycles the and pathological of cycles of shit that no one story. ever broke. Hmm. Yeah. I don't want to tell my child or my daughter, I hope you find someone rich and successful. No, you, I hope you do what makes your heart happy. And however much money that brings you, money's energy. You know, some people are fine making 20000 a year and they totally live a simple life and they don't yeah. care about other things. Some people have to have that $500,000 coming in on it, you know, endlessly. My point is you have to be in your happy place, in your place of peace. And we're all out here just competing with everyone else. It's such ugliness and hatred. Yeah. You know? You had a quote in the beginning that we used which is, I will not let age change me. I will change the way I age. And especially as we talk about all this like self-care and investing in yourself, like you're ultimately your biggest investment. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've come to believe, especially recently, actually I was reading a book on aging Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually called Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. And, And one kind of, it's a very, it's by David Sinclair. He's a PhD and pretty famous researcher and all this kind of stuff, but really interesting book. And the thing I took away from it was age is just a number. Like it sounds cliche. It sounds super cliche, but like, it's really, it's really just a number. And the more that you believe, Oh my gosh, I'm getting old or Oh my gosh, I'm too young. I'm too young to do this. It's like, it's really, that's a limiting belief. Like age is is a limiting belief that you, Mm -hmm. that we put on ourselves because we, we think, Oh, well, if I'm this, number, then I should behave like this. And then of right. course your body follows along. And yet I've met like the other, like a couple months ago, I, I connected with one of my friends who owns an art gallery and she mm-hmm. has two artists in her art gallery. They're in their mid eighties, man. And they're like wow. at the peak of their career. That's These so dudes awesome. started their art career like at 60. That's so cool. And they're like churning out sculptures and all this cool stuff. And I it was really it. inspiring uh, to see that it's like wow that is so cool that's the way life should be like you know it every decade has its new adventures because you're learning something new you have the wisdom of the previous one mm-hmm. you know and obviously as long as you keep taking care of yourself and doing the best you can that's why I think investing in yourself is so important mm-hmm. because you want you want to take control over that process rather than Oh, here we go. I'm, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 now. And now here's my new limitations rather, you know, right. I mean? and that's, and that, yes. And that quote, and what you just said, that's people that are letting society dictate what they should or shouldn't be doing, wearing or thinking depending on their age. And I don't think like that. When I first saw that quote, it was actually at least five or six years ago. Mm. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because I was going through my initial transformation. And now I love it even more because I always say I'm 50 years young. 
people don't think I look 50. I don't act 50. Well, how does a 50 year old act? I don't know. But I mean, there's even times I'll hear people that are like friends my own age saying, well, I shouldn't probably wear this. Why? It's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, for what? <laughs> I mean, I get that there's appropriate and not appropriate, but like when you think, oh, I'm 50, I shouldn't wear a skirt above my knee. Give me a mm-hmm. break. If you, if you want to rock a skirt above your knee, go for it. Yeah. Why not? Um, my point to that is like, there's two things. I don't want society or anyone else to dictate what 50 year, years old looks like. I want to dictate what 50 years old looks like. But in addition, and more importantly, I want to not only dictate that, I want to role model that so mm. that other people as they're aging, and especially even young girls, can say, well, I know someone that's 50 and she looks amazing. You know, I don't want people to think, oh my God, wait, you're, you're how old are you? You're old. You're 50. That's old. Like yeah. there's that mentality we have, but if we're showcasing that you can look good and feel good and be happy and be at peace and not live in a, in a bunch of chaos and stress, no matter what age you are, that's truly living. Mm-hmm. That's thriving through life. Um, and so I, I'm just really adamant about it. But the other part of that that I love is letting, I'm not going to let age change me. I'll change the way I age. Now, I am not, um, I, I don't judge on anyone that wants to get any kind of work done. I think that's great. If that's what makes you feel better, we should always do what makes us feel good. But I love role modeling that you don't have to go get enhancements and per- surgical procedures and Botox, all those things to stay young. Mm. That's really important to me because, again, I feel like, you know, we've got girls that are younger than 16 getting boob jobs, 17 years old, 16 years old, wanting to tummy tuck. Are they even legally allowed to do that? If your parents consent, yes. Wow, really? Nose jobs, boob jobs, eye, you know, eyebrow, like whatever. Again, I don't care what anyone does, but I feel like if you're a child, if you're younger than 30, and especially if you haven't had kids, you shouldn't be doing certain enhancements to your body because you haven't even had kids. Your body hasn't changed because mm-hmm. when you're pregnant and you have kids, your body changes, your, yeah. your hips widen, your, you know, your boobs change, all that. And my point is allow, I wish more people would allow themselves to age naturally and embrace that process and what it looks like mm-hmm. for me. Again, for me personally, I can't imagine being 85 years old with boobs, these beautiful round (laughs) fake boobs and a face that looks like Jane Fonda. No offense, Jane Fonda, but you don't look like Jane Fonda anymore. And it's just, there's nothing natural. Hmm. Do I like that? I have, you know, wrinkles on my forehead or stretch marks on my belly or, you know, crow's feet or whatever, or extra neck. No, I, I don't love it, but I embrace it. And it's like, I feel like it's the roadmap of my life and it's my story. Hmm. And if I find myself beautiful through those imperfections and someone else doesn't, that's their problem. I don't care anymore, but I used to care, Mm. but I don't anymore. I find myself beautiful. It's okay. And if some man can't accept me with some wrinkles and whatever I have, that's really, in my opinion, that's just not the man for me. Mm. But we are, our young girls are growing up thinking they have to look like these flawless plastic Barbie dolls with no freckles and no stretch marks and no cellulite and big boobs and small hips and a huge ass. And realistically, you don't have to look, you can look like anything you want. Like it, and that's, what's so scary to me. And I just want people to know that you do not have to let society dictate how you will age. Mm -hmm. You dictate how you'll age and then embrace that, whatever that is for you, whether that's weekly Botox or just being natural and and having some extra wrinkles on your body, you know, your face. 
it's really important. I'm really passionate about that. Probably <laughs> overly passionate, but because like you think about it, think about when you hear, especially with celebrities, Jennifer Lopez and um, Shakira, they're gorgeous. And I, oh, yeah. I am a JLo fan to death. And JLo is like her. 50 or something. Hot. Right? She's the same exact age as me. She was born a month after in wow. 1969. I was born yeah. June of 69. She was born July of 69. Wow. Love her. She's fucking flawless. But, and I don't know what work she's had done, but I don't think she's had a whole lot. If any, she may have, may have had like certain things, but like she has a real butt and real boobs and stuff. My point is whenever you hear the, like the media or people saying, oh my God, JLo's 15, she looks great. Or, you know, Jane Fonda or Kenny Rogers or whoever, whoever, 90% of those people have had work done. Usually a lot of work. It's really hard for me to grasp when people say, God, you're so gorgeous. How do you not age? And then they don't want to tell, or some of them do, that they've had work done. The thing is, yes, they're still beautiful because everyone's beautiful. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But to say, to want to just constantly be telling our young girls that they're, that the idea of beauty is these people that have had all this work done, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is not right. It's just not what, tell someone who hasn't had work done that they're beautiful hmm. because they really are. And because they do the fucking work every day because hmm. they actually go and move their body around and they take care of their mind, body, and spirit. To me, that's the ultimate ageless beauty. But you can't, I can't with good faith go to someone who's 50 years old or whatever age that I know goes for weekly Botox and say, damn, you're aging well. Because they're not. Yeah, they're hiding it. I mean, aging is not just a physical process. It is a mental and spiritual process too. Yeah. So again, I know people will probably give me backlash when they hear that and be like, well, fuck you if you don't like Botox. And I really don't, and I don't mean it like that. Like I have a lot of friends that get it and they're fucking gorgeous and they're beautiful and that's fine because it makes them feel good. Look, I may turn 80 years old and decide I need a fucking facelift and if I want one, I'll get one. But right now that's just not my mindset. I actually want to role model to children and girls. You do not need to look like these chicks in the magazine because the chicks in the magazine don't look like the chicks in the magazine. Yeah, it's crazy. I saw a, an Instagram model actually recently. One of my friends showed me that yeah, she was like her claim to fame is that she became the Barbie or something like that. Like she, oh, there's God, a lot of people, there's a lot of people yeah. like that, but yeah. she was some, it was, I think she was in Mexico or something. And like, yeah. it was just unreal. I mean, like her Cause face, have you seen her before she had all the work? She was actually yeah. a really pretty girl. Yeah. Most of the I time, like actually all the time, really all, all those models quote unquote yeah. like they look so much better yeah before natural you know natural beauty and then it's like they do these modifications that are just outrageous man I'm like and they can't stop it's not even good for your health you know like at the right. very That's baseline at the very baseline if something's like endangering your health like at what point does your ego just go yeah you know this is probably going to shave off another 10 years of my life but let's let's tattoo my eyeballs with ink yeah you know or whatever right well and here's the cool thing and i think about this all the time so obviously to get plastic surgery or to get botox or to get your eyebrows done or whatever it costs money a lot of money it also costs a lot of money to maintain yourself naturally Hmm. when i have a million dollars when i am wealthy because i am working on manifesting wealth the things I'll spend my money on are the natural ways to, to, I mean, I'll have a personal trainer, like literally five, six days a week. I'll have a chef that's cooking me, you know, raw or vegetable based or plant based. or So 
there's a way to actually, your body was made to work for you, not against you. And the coolest thing in the world is to see, and I'll use my daughter as an example, even though she's only 25 and she's never been overweight, but she's gone through fluctuations of bloating and just different things. She also has, um, well, she's healed herself through juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, but that caused issues with her as well. She through 100% through nutrition and mindset, working out, she has completely transformed her body. And my point is, you know, you can look at people that have actually done the work naturally, but when I say that, I mean, find a workout regimen, do it consistently, find what you can and can't eat and eat, make healthier choices. I don't mean live in restriction, but just make healthy choices. And what you put in your body and how you move your body are the two biggest factors that play a part of what you physically look, your aesthetic looks like. Mm, interesting. So you don't need to have all that stuff. There's a way to build your butt. You know, it takes a while. <laughs> it take, could take years, but it's consistency. You know? Yeah, we all have different advantages. I mean, some people just are born with certain muscular features that are easier yeah. developed than others. And you have to embrace that it's not, you're not comparing yourself to anybody, but no. you're looking at embracing your own strengths and your own beauty and exactly what you have. Exactly. That's the great. bottom line though here is I want to just make sure I stress the point, whatever makes a person feel good, they should do. It is their business. It is no one else's business. And if, you know, I woke up tomorrow and wanted to have, you know, a facelift or whatever, then I would do it. I'm just saying that there's a lot to be said for naturally making good choices, not just food and working out, but your, how you show up and your mindset and what you believe about yourself and the way you talk to yourself and the people you hang out with and the environments you expose yourself to, all of that plays a part with what you physically look like and how you mentally and emotionally feel. So there's it's the harder way. Like people want, we always want, like you said, instant gratification and the easy way, which to me, easy way, if it costs a lot of money, that's not easy to me. But, um, but I just feel like it's such a cool journey and an adventure to do things in a way that you're challenged and you get uncomfortable and you learn a lesson along the way. And like that reward of looking a certain way that you wanted to knowing that you did it with blood, sweat, and tears. It, mm-hmm. There's just something about that that makes that drives me. Well, and you most know? of the time, if you're working on the mindset and the spirituality and all that that three pronged process of being in balance, a lot of those decisions, <clears throat> I mean, they're just, in my opinion, they're not going to happen in the sense like you wouldn't just wake up like if you authentically wanted a facelift. Like, okay, mm-hmm. sure, if you like consciously came to that decision and there was some you know, higher purpose behind it. But Mm -hmm. most of the time, the reasons and the whys behind those types of decisions are usually based in fear and fear of not being good enough, self-worth issues. So if you're working on yourself in that area, then that solves, you know, that solves that problem anyway to begin with. I totally agree. I love that. I love that. And that's absolutely right. I mean, I, it's, it is. And, and there, I think we all go through times and I don't know, I would love to ask you because I feel like it's a woman thing more than a man thing, but I'm sure some men grow up and they feel a certain type of way. And I know you said that, you know, you've never been overweight or anything like that, but like just feeling like you're competing with how other men in your age group look. Like, oh yeah, do you ever for sure. Feel that pressure, like God, my abs aren't you know a six pack, <laughs> yeah. or I mean, I, you know what I mean. Like with yeah. for women, it's mostly right now. It's the big butt craze. I was actually yeah. blessed with one naturally, but I mean, we always want to look better. But like, I don't have rock hard abs anymore, and 
And, you know, so I always wanted to do men get that same pressure to, to look at or feel a certain way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'd say it's a, there's a lot of answers to that because in my industry specifically doing competitive ballroom dancing and it's an art form and, you know, I remember God, I mean, I, (laughs) I spent thousands of dollars when I was like in my early twenties to get laser hair removal on my chest just so I could wear open chested shirts. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> for the Latin. So, yeah. But that was, but that led to some real problems because I ended up the laser hair removal really fucking hurt. And so I uh-huh. had to take, I had to put this like cream on that was like a numbing cream uh-huh. and I put too much of it on. It started giving me like arrhythmias. So I'm like, wow, like it really oh, forced me God. to be like, Hey motherfucker, like what's your ego yeah. like, you know, doing to you, you know? So, so that was, Definitely in my industry, there's like a constant battle. Even today, I mean, I've worked a lot on my self-worth. I'm still working on it. But Mm -hmm. even today, it's like it's a constant balance between pushing the aesthetic. Because what I do is, and any artist will tell you, especially if they're a dancer or a performer of some kind, that you're constant. When you have an aesthetic demand, like when I, if you go run a race, Mm-hmm. whoever fucking crosses first is the winner. You don't need yeah. to like look good. Whoever's yeah. there, like it's objectively your first, but yeah. the problem with things that aren't measurable, like the arts or, you know, performing arts is that it's, it's a constant like push to get that aesthetic. Like, okay, does it look good? There's that mm-hmm. element of, does it look good? And as yeah. long as that element is there, there's that little nagging voice in the back of your mind that's perfectionist and just dealing with your self-worth, you know? And then on the other side, you're like, all right, wait a minute. It's, it's good. Like, it's fine. Like, it's good enough. Let me just have fun, that kind of stuff. So in my own life, for sure, as a guy that does performing arts, um, that's, that's been there. I think, you know, also there's this feeling of like in the dating scene, you know, like what mm-hmm. you, what we kind of talked about earlier was like, yeah, okay in order for me to have value, (laughs) I have to to look a certain way at least to be a a moderately like, okay, wow. Like, you know, get attention. Let's put it that way. Right. Like, so there's definitely that. And and that's all made up. Like I realize that that's made up Mm -hmm. in my own mind, my own standard. Like Mm -hmm. see guys that are totally fucking out of shape and they have gorgeous women. So it's like, what the fuck, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, for sure. I think that with guys, it's, it's just, different like it's always going to be competitive i think Mm -hmm. it's always going to be competitive because at the bottom line we all want to be in a relationship like there's that fundamental thing of am i worthy to reproduce right and well and we all want to be desired and we all want to be loved we all want to be loved and desired so for women it may manifest in you know certain things like okay is my butt as big as the next girl's for guys is shit is my am i driving the better car in the neighborhood yeah so it's yeah it's, it's so interesting. I love, I love jamming on this topic too, because it's just so many people out there and especially our youth. Like, I just feel like it's one thing to talk about it and have people our age listening, like the 30 to 50 year olds and above, but it's another to have young, young, you know, young men and women talking, young adults listening and talking and sharing their feedback. I'd love to interview like 20 year olds and, and, and 17 and 16 year olds about how they feel about their bodies and what do they want to look like? And do they feel like mm. they, what do they need to do to, to, to accomplish that? It'd be a real interesting conversation. Yeah. Especially you know? with all the new stuff now that people have access to, you know, back when I was a kid and you were a kid, like we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, filters. <laughs> yeah. Like you didn't have, exactly. There's no Instagram. There's no filters. Yeah. There's no constant people, people in person 
Exactly. You, and you didn't were, have yeah. that many people in your life that you were influenced by in terms right. of their opinion. Yeah, you know, that's like these so days, true. You have, and that's why I think they're trying to change Instagram now so that you don't count your likes anymore. They changed it to Which where it just so says, weird. I don't even know, yeah. You know, liked people by people are so literally so. going through depression. I mean, it's sad. It's, it's social sad, media yeah. is a double edged sword. I it think is, it has it so is. much value and benefits. For and then sure. on the other hand, it's a hiding space for people to, or people to vent or whatever, or to hide behind who they are. So, you know, it's, it's a double edged sword, however you look at it. But I think if more people would take time to work on themselves outside of the social media and outside of, just what society is dictating, it would make us show up on our social media as a much healthier, well-rounded, aligned human being. Yeah. And I just think a lot of this superficial stuff would change, I think, or just evolve a little bit more on the positive side. There's so much hatred and judgment out there and, and backstabbing and it. It's real ugly, you know? For sure. Yeah. Well, let's flip the switch. What are you most grateful for? I'm grateful for right my now. health and my, and my mindset, those two mm-hmm. things, because I feel like if you have a strong mindset and you're aware, you can absolutely accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and health, um, you mentioned it right in the very beginning of this whole, um, this whole discussion that, you know, without health, you have nothing. I mean, health is wealth. Health is your, is your abundance. Mm-hmm. If you're healthy, you can get out there and do anything. And if you think you're healthy, and you have that mindset, um, I mean, I just feel like you can, you can truly do anything. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. All right, all right. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Nancy Schwartz. You know, guys, you want to really take your life on whatever your number is. A number is what what your age is, is what I mean by that. Remember, age is just a number. But take it on full force. I hope this inspired you to take some new actions to kind of look at, you know, parts of your life. If you're already pretty disciplined, if you're already doing a lot of these things, what could you tweak? What could you do more? If you're not doing any of this stuff, that's okay, too. You know, we all have a place that we we win can start and start upward and move forward. It doesn't matter where you are but rather where you want to be and how you're going to get there. So I hope this inspired you to make a change in your life, whatever, big or small, and live life to the fullest. Life is short. And Nancy is a super inspiring person uh, that I've met and I wanted to share with you. So make sure you go follow her as well. YouTube channel, Nancy L. Schwartz. She's on Facebook as well. And Nancy Schwartz and Instagram at Fit Infused Life. And obviously she does coaching and too. So if you found her inspiring, useful, and anything that she's said to you, if it resonates with you, don't hesitate. Reach out to her. Even if it's for, you know, some uh, like a discovery call just to see if you're a good fit. You never know what you're going to get out of it. So make sure you check her out. I hope, I hope you guys have found this inspiring. That it's changed your life in some way, great or small. Make sure you share it. If you have somebody in your own circle that will benefit from this information, you'll never know the life that you can change just by sharing some information. Make sure you subscribe as well for weekly content. We got some great stuff coming up. Don't forget our inspiring quote for today, anonymous, but nonetheless significant. I will not let age change me. I will change the way I age. You know, there's an old sailing term that says we can control ship and sail, but not wind and wave. But still, we have some control. We may not be able to control everything in life, but there are things that we can control. And if you focus on those, 
That is the key. You know, our own journey from point A to B can be awesome, even though maybe there's an end to that journey, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you want to make that point A to point B the best possible line there is. And that's what it's all about, living a a fit-infused life, health, wealth, body, mind, soul, all that good stuff. I hope you have an amazing rest of your Friday. Tune in on Tuesday for some Transformation Tuesday for a little two-minute transformation. And next Friday, we're going to be doing 10 simple ways to find your purpose, 10 simple things you can do to get a little more fulfillment in your life, to find your life purpose. I mean, it sounds like really grandiose, but check it out next Friday. We're going to be diving into some simple things you can take action on, especially these days, you know, with all the quarantining going on good time to spend on your own and really reconnect. So until then, remember your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, Stay connected at danceoflife.com.